0: FaZe World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well, we also have non-interview-based miniseries releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on Phaseworld.com. Now onto the show. Hey guys, this is Faye from Faze world Media. I am Really thrilled, if you can't tell, that I'm here with a really dear friend, Shayna Carroll from Seven Fingers. And who, you know, Shayna, you've been so instrumental. Uh, You're co-founder at Seven Fingers. For people who don't know, it's a a world-class circus production company based in Montreal. I recently, as in a few years ago, visited the place, and it's just Mm -hmm. astonishing. Uh, New renovation. But Shayna, you also directed a ton of shows from Cirque du Soleil. Um, which is a brand a lot of people are familiar with. Um, so welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Oh my goodness. So Shana, where where are you currently? I can never figure that out. Well, right now
1: I'm in Montreal. Um, we have started uh, training for the new show in San Francisco, but I'll, I'll be joining them in a bit because I also have uh, Pat- Passengers. The show that you saw in Boston is going back on the road and that's rehearsing at the same time. So we're trying to like multitask between well particularly between me and Gypsy because we have lots of um, projects in common right now so it was sort of I mean that was actually you know there was a moment in in the midst of this crazy year and the pandemic when suddenly everything was kind of green lit at the same mm-hmm. time so we went from just being in complete stasis to suddenly like everyone's just chomping at the bit and now we have three shows that open like the same mm-hmm. week um, and wow. so we're running around and at the same time, there's still uncertainty in that, so it's just a very strange time in that way from it's mm-hmm. like being crazy busy and also you know, not knowing you know there's a lot of uncertainty but um, but I'm happy mm-hmm. to be working, and I'm so happy to be, my God, in a studio with real bodies moving in front of me and not just zooming and emailing and all of those things and getting live live art out there again. So that's great. It's great for
0: humanity. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like our mm-hmm. interaction has always been in person as uh, as crazy as it sounds, Living still living the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I visited you during several shows. Uh, I remember the ice show, the first mm-hmm. and the second ice show for Cirque du Soleil. It was groundbreaking and most recently in, in Passenger. And I cried during that show uh, I, for people who have the opportunity to, to go see it, which we're going to find out which location yeah. maybe you can give us some insights. But for me as an immigrant, as a, as a female immigrant coming here when I was 17 with a luggage on my own, arriving in the airport, mm-hmm. the beginning of the scene, I just, I couldn't help it. I just. I'm getting tears.
1: scary hearing you say that. It's so funny. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I was just like unexpectedly emotional. Um, You know, you're, there's so much I want to explore during the conversation. And I feel like it's such a, it's such a a missed experience for people who have not uh, heard of seven fingers, who have not seen one of your shows, because it's very different than Cirque du Soleil, which, which is very, which I love too. It's very dramatic makeup. Whereas seven fingers is, I feel like, you on and off stage and all your actors, acrobats, I, I feel like they're my friends and I feel like I want to hug them. They're very relatable. How people are able to do all those things with jeans and t-shirts on? I have no idea how, but um, but it's incredible. So, so Shana, do you mind maybe sharing a bit about, um, yeah, actually let's talk about Passenger, like where where is that show traveling to, and where can people yeah. expect to see Passenger and 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 uh, yeah. Dear San Francisco?
1: Um, so so Passenger's, or it's also called Passager. So it depends what country you're in. Um, it's it's actually starting. Let's see. It's going to be in Germany for just I think just a few shows mid September. Then it does a UK tour from mid September to mid October. It's a bunch yeah. of different cities. I don't have it right like on, on me right now, but I mean you can check our. Our website or whatever, but if you'd like, I could. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something I can send you after if you want to actually plug Absolutely. it. No, but um, it's going to be doing that UK tour and then from mid November to around beginning of February, it's in rest of Europe, France, Spain, uh, Switzerland, and then normally it's, uh, it does a US tour next, more or less next summer. Um, mm-hmm. So we're hoping we're going to be particularly on the west coast of of the US. Um. Uh. So yeah. So. Southern California, Northern California, up to Oregon even. So um, those are still, we're still like, um, you know, doing the whole Tetris of dates there. And of course it's a really weird time, even, I mean, it's a weird time for companies as well, like I was mentioning, but also for theaters, because there's uncertainty Mm -hmm. there in terms obviously, but also, you know, all these theaters have had a year's worth of delayed dates and trying to figure out to what extent, Mm -hmm. Um, try to honor canceled dates from last year or dates that were already programmed for this year. And different theaters have different policies about it. So we're all kind of doing this puzzle together. Um, But Mm -hmm. anyway, Passengers will be um, next year in the United States, which I'm super happy about. And also uh, in my hometown, in the Bay Area, um, like dear San Francisco. So it makes me really, really happy because I rarely get to sort of bring my work to my hometown. So that makes me happy.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, I I have to follow up. I I know Dear San Francisco is going to be opening there. And I saw based on the dates, the same uh, performers are going to be there for quite a while through end of the year from what I saw. So I was like part of my heart. It's like, oh, you guys are not coming back to Boston anytime soon. So I'll have to find a way we not even thinking about Boston, streaming.
1: Not with dear San Francisco, but we might still come to Boston. But sorry, I don't want to say that we won't be back to Boston. But I mean to cut you off. Continue what you were saying. Oh
0: no, please cut yeah. me off. This is like a coffee <laughs> chat with with friends. So, um, but but dear San Francisco is most likely going to stay in San Francisco yeah. for a little while. And is when is it going to become like a touring show? You think? Work.
1: I think that one, will, the, the hope is that it stays there. I mean, we, we're taking the place of, so there was a show called Beach Blanket Battle that's that lasted oh my God, over 40 years. I mean, it's like one of the longest running permanent shows ever. Um, yeah. And uh, permanent, actually, it's kind of a contradiction saying it's permanent. <laughs> but anyway, it's one of the longest running live shows. And, um, and it was really a staple of San Francisco. It was a, a show that, you know the locals really felt attached to, and that really felt it really represented the city. Um, mm-hmm. And they would bring when they had visiting relatives; they'd bring them to see beach blanket Babylon, and then tourists would come. So it really did kind of tread that line perfectly, but you know between um, visitors and locals, um, mm-hmm. and and it and it and it really you know. Uh, they chose to close for a variety of reasons and we were mm-hmm. we were saddened by it actually because we we also loved the show mm-hmm. um then the theater opened up and actually you know it would be even more sad as if you know that that theater didn't come back to life and not only for i mean for the arts in general but for the neighborhood north beach which it was an incredibly threatening neighborhood which still is but not quite as much so we're hoping to also kind of inject a bit of sort of new life there and the fact mm-hmm. the show closed of course because that was a big thing for the neighborhood restaurants people would you know would have a have dinner at North Beach before seeing the show so we're hoping to kind of like regenerate that um that movement in the in the neighborhood um so yeah so our goal is to kind of stay there in that it's this little jewel box theater and the show is really designed mm-hmm. for the city so mm-hmm. um uh, it just, yeah, we, we want it to be. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I do have friends for my friends who live in San Francisco. You guys are in it for a treat. Mm. Please go check it out. I I do. Um, I did include links for the tickets um, at the top of the description, no matter where you're watching this LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. And if you're here, please say hi. And I'm going to do something for the first time, which is for me as a live stream host, I'm going to introduce a source so for everybody kind of just check out the show and and watch it with shayna myself but it's not the live show obviously it is a a promo um so let's see how this one goes this is a new feature so i'm kind of excited Uh, so let's see oh my god i hope it works let's see So cool.
1: just Um, workshops just to be clear that's not an excerpt from the show those were workshops that we did and at the end of the workshop week which was mostly to you know to explore themes and acrobatic material and um Mm -hmm. groups starting to gel but we wanted to do um presentations for the neighborhood actually so we had an open doors moment where we did these little presentations of a few acts but it was it was that's it, it was a wonderful little um uh, first. I see yeah like dipping our toes in the water but that's not really what the show looks like nor yeah. the space because we've already kind of renovated it since then a bit.
0: Oh. Um, oh my goodness yeah. so what is the I, I guess the preview or the feeling of the design of the show and maybe with the the venue I mean based on that space I feel like it's very intimate could you give us like kind of a preview and and, and feeling of dear San Francisco. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it, so the 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 first um, premise. I mean, so Gypsy and I, were, you know, so we're, we co co wrote it and are co you know, um, creating it. Um, and we both come from the Bay Area. Um, I'm actually from Berkeley, which is across the bay from San Francisco. Kind of has its own strong identity, but definitely, first of all, I spent years living in San Francisco, and it all does feel mm-hmm. like it's the same. I mean, it's the same culture and area, um, mm-hmm. but we, we both left when we were, I mean, I left when I was 20, 20 to go to Montreal and then toured and you know, lived in Europe, toured in Europe, toured, toured in Asia and Australia and was basically mm-hmm. never really went back to, to work there. I would come home obviously to visit, um, you know, my family and every now and then to teach at Circus Center, which still is, you know, ongoing in San Francisco. Anyway, Gypsy as well. She left, I think at 18 for Europe. So we spent our whole you know, lives and careers in other countries and then we would come home and there was this thing that would always happen when we'd come home is everyone, the, the, our, our friends and family would all talk about how, Oh, San Francisco, it's not like it used to be. And it's, it's lost its soul and it's lost its spirit. And, and, and there was always this kind of like ongoing, like sort of lament about what happened to San Francisco. And we would come home and think, well, you know, it's actually, it's kind of still there. and, the soul of it is still there. And um, of mm-hmm. course there's some things that have changed and evolve. And there was, it was, so we felt with this opportunity to write a love letter to San Francisco, hence the name to San mm-hmm. Francisco. So we felt like what we wanted to do was first of all, help rekindle this spirit of the city, remind mm-hmm. people that it's still there and that sometimes it's dormant or sometimes it it has a different mask on, but that, that, that spirit is still there and kind of marry a bit, um, you know, what we consider sort of the old San Francisco and the new San Francisco, there's a lot, you know, the whole tech boom and that's really transformed the city a bunch, um, but there is you know i mean it, it's still part of the the lore of the city which has always been kind of boom and bust and you know earthquake brush the dust off another boom you know it started with with the gold the gold rush so there's something not that different with with sort of the tech rush and the gold rush and you know the, mm-hmm. now with the pandemic there's this sense of it's always kind of this phoenix rising um so that kind of became a bit of a through line of the show not only that cycle of San Francisco and the sort of, like Mm -hmm. we're saying, the boom and bust and the Phoenix rising. um, But also, um, you know, like I said, the love letter to the city. So we really approached it that way. And I, and even the very first moment, like we see sort of an educational film, like we're in a history Mm -hmm. class, um, like a film from the fifties or something about, you know, the history of San Francisco and the earthquake and, and which Mm -hmm. quickly starts the film starts to burn and um, you know, there's also the fires of California, which is a whole other part of, of the the metaphors we're, we're we're using in the show. Um, and then, and someone in front of this movie starts to recite a love poem that we mm-hmm. believe it's for maybe for a lover, for someone in the audience. And eventually, we start to understand it's actually a love poem for the city and sort of the heartbreak involved. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that becomes kind of a, a through line. And then we, you know, from there, it's a bit um, I call it like Picasso, like with sort of Cubist in the sense that like Gypsy and I really, you know, just put on a bunch of three by five file cards, like all these themes we really wanted to, to um, explore. Mm-hmm. And feature, you know, things that we felt were key to um, the San Francisco experience and history and whether it's even culturally and, you know, beat poetry or the movies, epic San Francisco movies or really politically and, you know, the first gay marriages. I mean, so there were things that we really we just kind of put them all on the file cards and then kind of had to zoom out and figure out, you know, like how to connect the dots in a way that created this composite San Francisco experience. And there's an arc, there's a dramatic arc. There's not like a story, like it's not like someone arrives in San Francisco with their suitcase and, you know, but there's a bit um, like mini stories and mini vignettes throughout that we can connect to. But um, when we zoom out, it's sort of, like I said, it's sort of a dramatic arc that represents that, that arc of the city, the burning and the rebirth and the, Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. So that's like, I guess that's sort of, we wanted also this timelessness because so much of it has to do with the eras that San Francisco Mm -hmm. has has been pivotal in. And of course there's the whole like flower power part that we, we have to pay homage to, but we don't want to do it in the like really typical like Austin powers or whatever Mm -hmm. way. Um, you know, but there's that era, and like I said, to be poetry and and we're just trying to make it like we're like, instead of it being a chronological timeline, like time is always kind of like this four dimensional way, just kind of folding onto itself. So at any given moment, we feel we can, we can move from one era to to another, but also be simultaneously in two eras at once and just be representing these different eras. It sounds a little bit like a bouillabaisse when I say it like that, but it's really, I think it's it creates a more visceral experience of living what the city is about. So, mm.
0: you know. I, I'm hearing it. It sounds very cool. And I feel like I, uh, I need to create something like Dear Beijing because <laughs> being you know being natively being native to Beijing, China, and and to live through the 80s and 90s and the 2000s and coming mm-hmm. to the US, going back, and finding every time, even every year these mm-hmm. days, it's unrecognizable. Um, and to mm-hmm. me, that is magical. It yeah. feels. Uh, you know I, I don't know do you I mean Shane, I don't know how me- how yeah. often you travel back to San Francisco for people who are watching don't know don't know you as well I mean you speak fluent French you've left left San Francisco many years ago. when you go back like what shocks you and what looks what feels familiar versus completely foreign or different yeah
1: I mean okay, so to be completely honest, I think what shocks me is actually the the homelessness that's really it's mm-hmm. gotten to a point now where there are certain parts of the Bay area, the, the tent cities that it, Mm -hmm. it looks like a completely different country. Um, and that is, I mean, it's a much more complex subject. (laughs) Um, but if, I mean, I'm giving you my, my honest answer, I think in terms of what shocks me, that's, there's always a bit of that. And San Francisco has always been, or the Bay area, I'd say a place Mm -hmm. that was, um, very humane. And I'd say kind to, um, uh, to the homeless and to other, you know, uh, Um, under underserved uh, communities and things. So, um, mm-hmm. so in that way, and in the way that I actually was proud of, it was a place that was kind of welcoming for, for um, you know, people who are less fortunate. So um, there it's not, it's not all bad, but it was, it's mm-hmm. something that's gotten so to such an extreme. Yeah. And I think the tech boom, you know, actually had its hand in um, you know, pushing some people out of certain neighborhoods and making things more expensive and the gentrification I mean, it's really, like I said, it's a complex conversation, which we're trying to figure out that's, we are also addressing that in, in the, in our show um, Mm -hmm. in a way that we're, you know, obviously we're trying to find something that's also like, I'm saying sort of healing the broken parts. Um, Mm -hmm. So so that, that would be my first answer. And then, uh, um, but then it's funny on the flip side of it, what I'm always surprised how, how similar it all feels. And I think that's sort of Mm -hmm. where, where the, what I was first saying about how the soul is still there. I I mean, I always get that same wind when I come back home. And I mean, there's simple things just like the quality of light or, or the Mm -hmm. air, which really is unique to the city and to to Northern California, there's something about the light that is Mm -hmm. so hard to explain when you're not from there. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and it affects a certain vibe that everyone has, whether they've just moved there, they've, you know, grown up there. And so the city does kind of start to, um, uh, what do I mean? It's like the, it, it creates this, the spirit that the people have. It's like the city itself kind of works its way into the, the, the um, habitants. so it's really, I feel that that's still there. And that always hits me how much I expect it to be really different and how it feels like, okay, no, this is this the city I grew up in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then there's things that are just like everywhere that anytime you go you travel and you're like, oh, my God, this is now full of, you know, I don't know, Starbucks or whatever. I mean, that's not. Yeah. Um, that's maybe more from a f- more than a few years ago where it went Starbucks. But like there is that sense of I'm sure you get that going back to Beijing where there are certain corners that are unrecognizable and they start to look like every other city in the world. Yeah. Which, you know, has its own of shame to it. Um but that's mm-hmm. also something that's not unique to that particular city. It's just sort of more of a global movement of how on the one hand, we're so much more interconnected and, and globally mm-hmm. which is good, but it also means that each uh, city is losing its identity a bit because it's starting to become a bit more homogenous with, you know, everything else. So that's, I don't know. I mean, this is a bigger conversation about.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, it's yeah. really important because I think it's so, this is essential uh, to you as a creator, when you said Starbucks, I, I laughed because 20 years ago, at the bottom of the Great Wall in Beijing, it's literally the entry point, uh, entry point you see a Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, and it is so iconic and people blogged about it constantly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And it's yeah. really because I know it's a tr- so one of the reasons actually, for instance, you were talking about my show Passengers, which one of the reasons I chose to do a show about travel was I really spent like my adult life until the age of 40, just constantly mm-hmm. traveling because of my work. Mm-hmm. Like, and one thing that, that I always felt this guilt was that I had cynicism for the fact, whether I was in Singapore or Tokyo or Portland or Sydney, whatever, it's like I could find my Starbucks. And mm-hmm. it, in a way I kind of would roll my eyes at it, but actually as a traveler, it was really convenient because I knew what I, if I arrived mm-hmm. in Singapore, I'd know right away where to get you know, a Starbucks, which was, you know, whether, you know, it was much harder to find that, like, mm-hmm. that bay that you have to be in the know to know it's good and it's, you know, whatever. So it's funny because we all have kind of our hand in that as well. And like, even when we talk about gentrification, you know, in, in San Francisco, for instance, the Mission District, which, you know, a lot of people were um, were sort of pushed out by the tech boom mm-hmm. and, and were um, evicted and stuff because of, of gentrification. But then you realize that, I am someone that might um, cause gentrification when I move into a neighborhood that I'm, you know, I'm that person that likes the Shishi cafe and the juice bar or whatever it is. So you kind of, you know, in a way take part in something that you can also have the contrary opinion to. And it's, it's a much more complex little circle. And some of it is kind of beyond it's just evolution and it's beyond our individual control. But um, Mm I feel like I'm getting a little bit away from talking about the creative process, but it was sort of a, I mean, that was a big challenge, like trying to, you know, you we want to speak lovingly about the city and just mm-hmm. like a human being you, that you love has their flaws and yeah. you have to sort of like acknowledge their flaws and it's part of the package and it's a bit like the vices are in excess of your virtues, you know, in a way, you, like often the flaws are incredibly linked to the 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 strengths um, mm-hmm. and you sort of have to just understand it's like this very fragile little um, push and pull between those two, two aspects. Um, but yeah, that was sort of, you know, sort of having to embrace, embrace the city for its flaws as well. Um, understanding how linked they are to its beauty. Yeah. Person, like,
0: oh, no, this is like very, I I'm so glad you're doing this. Cause you know, we're also going live on our personal Facebook channels and for people who, uh, you know, who have not really won't probably get a chance to see the show live if they don't live in San Francisco and, and traveling isn't an option to mm-hmm. them at the moment, mm-hmm. then it's so helpful to hear you speak to this. And whenever I go to see a Seven Fingers show, I feel like it's a reflection of life and it's in its you know most honest, transparent way possible. It's a reflection of what, what we're living in and that's why I think even, you know, these days on HBO, you try to find, a, uh, HBO has been known for this, but also Netflix, Hulu, everybody's trying to tell the more authentic, the imperfect everyday life, um, like you said, the flaws of, mm-hmm. of people and the, the reality we're, we're hit with because I used to travel to San Francisco regularly. And in recent years, it really shocked me as a traveler to see um, really the, the homelessness mm-hmm. almost as a pandemic almost on its own and it is how help helpless people are and and you know and sometimes for for us as travelers Mm -hmm. frankly I have to conduct research to make sure where where I'm you know if I'm hanging out with my mom I have to be careful Mm uh where I am and I hate to admit that but it's also true Mm -hmm. so
1: yeah
0: um Yeah. So Shane, I want to like maybe talk about the creative process because one thing as a lot of creators, like for instance, on my YouTube channel, who are watching this. One thing I must admit that it's so easy to talk about. It's like, oh, this is such a great show. You know, creative process is this beautiful thing. It's like seamless and perfect. But even for us to produce a like five, 10 minute YouTube video to make it engaging and all that, it could take hours, days, weeks of work. Um, and one of the the situations that that really the challenge that jumps out is how to actually script something, but actually make it sound cohesive, look natural on camera. What kind of music to choose every time when it comes to music? And I just like, I I just crumble because the music sounds so good. That doesn't sound good. Doesn't work for mm-hmm. the for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about like, how do you piece these things together and, and, you know?
1: Um, sure. It's interesting. Cause I feel like when I'm asked that question, it's, it really, there is a range depending what type of show it is. And as you mentioned, like I've done, you know, for instance, Cirque du Soleil show where everything really has to have a level of, of being pre-written much more extremely like crystal, the ice show you mentioned um, because mm-hmm. there's uh, video content and set, building that has to happen just months before we, we even in the room with the performers. So it, I really had to, you know, basically write something that was as fleshed out and complete as I could. And I feel like luckily, not luckily, I mean, that's why I do circus, but my having been doing circus now for, you know, over 30 years, my mm-hmm. imagination functions in the language of circus. So that's what will... I don't know if I give the example of of Paramore, like I knew I had to create dramatically this example of a love triangle and then had the idea of the, the hand to trap with the, you know, the, the Porter on anyway, with the love triangle, (laughs) which acrobatically like what language acrobatically is best to tell that story. So, so I feel like that's something that I can do. I can preconceive um, circus acts as I'm writing the show and flesh it out. However, what I most love to do is to create in the room and like with the blank page because I feel like as much as you can have a good idea on paper, it's it's really seeing it live and working with real bodies that you know, can really tell you what what speaks and what doesn't because that is our form. So um, sometimes something that sounds really good on paper, you start doing it and you're like, actually this this isn't quite right, and vice versa. So when I do a seven fingers show, I have that Liberty partly because it's my own company and I get to do it Mm -hmm. how I want, but also just our timelines, you know, I don't need to worry about them spending, I don't know how much money circuit on, you know, video content and set construction and road cases, all the stuff they need to do even before we start creation, because, you know, we're just a smaller size and we're more um, lightweight. I always joke about, there's that expression about how a, I don't know, a kayak you know, you could just Mm -hmm. turn left or right really fast. Whereas like, if you're on a big, you know, cruise ship, it takes, you know, days and, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of money just to turn left. I forget what the exact quote is, but I always say, Mm -hmm. well, like we're a kayak, you know, that's the advantage. If we're in rehearsal and we suddenly decide that, Hey, let's, uh, let's change the schedule and do this number instead. You know, it's like, we can just do it like that. We don't have a team of hundreds of people that have like, Mm -hmm. Oh no, 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 we can't, can't make that change because you know, the domino effect, it's, there's too many people involved and stuff. So basically um, I really enjoy creating in the room. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm doing a seven finger show, I sort of would prefer to do um, like a script that's very, I mean, just imagine like a very um, skeletal drawing, uh, Mm a a sketch of something that, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to like really color in and and get Mm -hmm. with, with live bodies. So I feel like that's the best way to describe it because I do want that the, the meat mm-hmm. and the flesh comes from an in, in exchange with my performers, uh, partly because of what I said about when you see it, it's when it's much more clear what what you're saying, mm-hmm. but also I like for them to speak through the work. And I think that, you know, circus is so individuated and that uh, you have a, an artist that has like one particular way of, of moving that is very true to them. But if you give them, you know, choreography five, six, seven, eight, that you've choreographed beforehand, sometimes it, it, it really, you know, they're not trained as dancers in that way. Mm-hmm. So I really want to use their language, their personalities, um, obviously their skills, cause you know, they all, mm-hmm. that's another part of it in the acrobatic research, which is how, I mean, you really, it's how you get into new territory by doing, um, new research every time and not just deciding beforehand, okay, we're going to do this trick and that trick is inevitably you're going to do things, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so I like, I mean, I've often said it's like two halves of a shell. Like I kind of have a framework that is comes from my own ideas and my own conviction and my own, the themes I want to talk about. And then it's like, I kind of meet the second half of the shell with the cast I'm working with and the work Mm -hmm. we do in the room. So, um, there's that. I mean, I think there's also, To be fair, there's a bit of like what I call witchcraft. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) There is that sense that when you're in a creative mode, you just have your tentacles out all the time. So I, you know, if I remember when we were creating our first show loft and I was like sitting in my bathtub and immediately I'm like, Oh, this could be a number. And I'm like playing with the water and what can you do in a bathtub? And then when one time I, there's a number that I did for a circus school show where I was my, um, My son was two years old, and we were playing with those markers that are like erasable markers. And then on my playlist, this song came on. It's like a Melody Gardot song called "The Rain." So suddenly, I had this image of you know someone being written on, and the rain washing it away. But it was just like it's that notion of these sort of accidental things happen, but because you're sort of thinking in this creative mindset, you're like there to like pull them out of the air, if that makes sense. And everything Mm -hmm. is like kind of steering towards your one. Vision. I feel like this is getting very vague, but um, I think that that's sort of the best way to describe it is that you're kind of like really uh, in tune to both mm-hmm. like, like, I don't know, like things the, the world needs right now and what your performers are giving you and your own mm-hmm. ideas and you listen to a podcast or whatever, and everything mm-hmm. is kind of like sort of funneling into this one vision. And then I think from there, mm-hmm. it's almost like a process of subtraction because you're going to get so many, so many stimulants, then you have to just have like this tunnel vision towards the story you're telling and the theme you're telling. And it's like a, like the North star. And then Mm -hmm. you kind of have to figure out what, what kind of what fat gets trimmed along the way with all of these bubbling of ideas that that,
0: I, So, like that's that really... that makes sense okay how long was a crea- creative process for uh, dear San Francisco from the beginning till mm-hmm. the end like y- you probably had a very strict mm-hmm. project plan and, right. and time long.
1: this show we're actually not even in technically in rehearsal yet so we did um, we actually start training now and then we only have about a month of rehearsal <laughs> before the opening so it's a, it's a very fast project um, for all sorts yeah. of reasons of restrictions and timelines and things but we did have a longer I mean kind of like I was saying with Crystal we really tried to develop a very concrete script and idea of what acts that were going to be and even design them in advance um Mm -hmm. and then we did two workshops where we could try the ideas so Mm -hmm. we're really able to hit the ground running when we go into rehearsals and the script writing I mean gosh I feel like it's been the last year that we've been Mm -hmm. kind of starting to develop it and then really the script writing really kicked into gear I'd say Um, the beginning of this year. So a few months ago. Um, Mm. And then, like I said, with the workshops and stuff that helps feed it where we have an idea and we Mm. try with the artist and then we get more information, and we can change the idea. So that's always really important as well.
0: Wow. And it's challenging. I mean, for people who are watching this, uh, that's not trivial. You you started, you know, brainstorming last year and uh, the pre-production beginning of this year. And that's before the vaccine uh, in in the U.S. or you know worldwide. Yeah. What was it like to collaborate, you know, with Gypsy internally as Seven Fingers, mm-hmm. and as well as evaluating and maybe inviting other acro- you know, artists and acrobats yeah. to join you? What was that process mm-hmm. like?
1: Um, well, so it's definitely uh, a challenge and limiting. And I'd say that obviously the part, you know, like we we were able to finally do workshops, but for me they have been late in in the game mm-hmm. because of the restrictions. And, um, and I did, for instance, I did workshops for a different project during, uh, when COVID, when the regulations were more strict and, and it was so fun to work. However, it wasn't mm-hmm. really an accurate, I couldn't really work fully. So in the mm-hmm. end, I almost regretted doing the workshops because I felt like I got false information out of it because we were mm-hmm. like adapting so much to the regulations of, you know, the mask and distancing. And, and so on the one hand, it was fun. On the other hand, it was like, well, maybe... Mm-hmm. Maybe that was a waste of time because it just gave us okay. all information. So anyway, so for Dear San Francisco, I did miss like having the bodies right away to try things with. They're not just the bodies, the space, the equipment, all of that stuff, other collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, so Gypsy and I, we have, we have like shared houses <laughs> and so we were in a bubble together through the pandemic. Oh, So I think that, that really, I mean, that saved it because, we could be creative by brainstorming in the same room. And like I said, have the file cards. And, and yet once we got, I mean, the zoom situation with other collaborators and producers and things, it was definitely better than nothing. And it kept the ball rolling. And I was so glad we did it, Mm -hmm. but you realize, like so much gets lost and not just, Mm -hmm. I mean, even the fact that it's a, it's a 2d thing and Mm -hmm. um, there's all sorts of subtleties of body language and, And communication that you're not realizing when you're in a room with someone you're picking up on, and it took so long to realize like how much miscommunication, how harder it was to get ideas to come through, how our patience was different because we would get you know zoomed out at a certain point and
0: (laughs) zoomed (laughs) out. That's a real thing.
1: It was really challenging, but I like I said, luckily Gypsy and I have been together this whole time, so. I feel like we were really able to move, keep moving forward without that. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a lot harder. Um, mm-hmm. It did also push me. I mean, with Dear San Francisco and with other shows that I'm working on as well, I put more emphasis on the writing, the the literal writing, um, mm-hmm. which sometimes I would, you know, I do for myself, but I'd kind of keep it to myself and then get in the room and just sort of tell people little things they needed to know for like whatever improv we're doing, but because it was sort of one of the only ways we could communicate I was really taking mm-hmm. more time to flush everything out in script form, and uh, that was actually useful. And it was it was a fun exercise for me to realize like, okay, I'm so used to being able to just kind of keep it in my head, um, mm. but, but realizing it was actually um, a really pertinent step to have to describe it in more detail and communicate it, you know, through through text to my team and that would feed them more. And so I, I learned through that, that it was actually maybe something I should continue doing even when we're not.
0: What tool, yeah. What tools were you using for scripting like Google docs or do you use something very specific for oh, scripting? Thing.
1: No, I just not use cool. word. I mean, I'm really not, mm-hmm. I, I probably, I mean, there's, we have, um, you know, stage managers and things who are like, you know, putting things on the, on the Google docs and on the drop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. There's so many points <laughs> and, and I just mm-hmm. kind of use a simple word document and then send it to whoever needs to, there is one thing I know. Yeah. I guess it's Google doc where you can like correct. Yeah.
0: Collaborate.
1: Yeah. So I did that on, a, on another, not but on a different project. We were doing that, but I didn't even quite understand how it was working, but I thought that was cool because you could actually watch someone like correcting the text while you're, yeah. yourself and like so that was pretty great but um i'm just now like kind of learning about those tools so
0: so cool so cool and then so i'm so glad i know that it's you know we're here for an hour if you have any questions for the show for Shayna please let us know i did leave a link there are people already asking about the tickets oh, cool. so it's a uh, club fugazi and dear san francisco there are links in the description i share it as a comment as well i mm-hmm. uh, super excited because, Jaina, I realize that this is, not that this is news to me, but it, it is also very international cast. I saw people from Montreal, from possibly the U.S., but I saw two acrobats from China. Um, and I, I definitely, I feel like, I love the fact that I can see their faces. I'm going to like them, let them take over mm-hmm. for a second. Oh, nice. Very international uh, here.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: one from Australia. What is it like to work with people who, Our international, whose let's say primary first language isn't English, and to be able to communicate uh, on Zoom or elsewhere. What what was that like this time? Well, with this cast, actually, most of those people have
1: already worked with us in the past. Um, So it was, I mean, in fact, it was very easy. That's one of the reasons we we chose them is that we, you know, we really have had, um, we sort of have our own. In some ways, our own genre of of circus, and so the more people have worked with Seven Fingers, the more they're already kind of part of our language. So it's great, especially creating a new show with a little with a, with a short time frame. It's just so great mm-hmm. to be able to have artists that are like already in our universe in that way, and that we don't even have. There's so much that just goes without. Like when I said we didn't have workshops, at the same time I knew that. Oh, well Song this will be perfect for him and he can do this text cuz this is his sense of humor and this is his voice and this music works mm-hmm. cuz it's someone I've worked with already for um oh my gosh Song it's been I first met him in Iris uh, in 2011.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Ten, so 10 years I've been working with Song. So even though I mean yes he's he's a he's a Chinese acrobat and when I first met him he didn't speak any English and Ming Song there you so I, I worked with him on Iris, and, and in fact, one reason he really stood out was, um, this is a sort of a funny story, but they had a translator. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was an Icarian troupe, and the translator sometimes wasn't catching what I meant, and Song had like a little bit of English and was always really trying, so I'd, I'd often just go to him instead of the translator, <laughs> which is horrible, because he understood acrobatics and, and, and artistic, and he was really mm-hmm. um, uh, driven and passionate. So he like, had more of a desire to understand what I was saying than even the, the translator. So I ended up often sort of like, I mean, it was like maybe not very correct because I should have been going to the translator, but it was easier to speak with Song. And then when, when I realized right. that the whole troop was basically going to go back to China and Song wrote me and said, would you have a place in seven fingers and really just wanted mm-hmm. to to sort of change his whole mm-hmm. trajectory um, and he did traces with us. He did cuisine confessions. He did, oh my God. He did like five shows with us actually. So, um, wow. so that's, I mean, that's an interesting, And answer to your question. Like, yes, on on other shows, I've had the experience of working with people who had just had, you know, never done uh, a show with uh, either a Western show, like depending, you know, what uh, country they were from. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, my first husband was a Chinese acrobat. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. And when I'm. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. And when when I was at, at the Pickle Family Circus, which is where I started, which is also based in San Francisco, Master mm-hmm. Lu Yi, who is the the now the coach, who's been you know the the he's an icon in San Francisco, and he was mm-hmm. first brought in 1990 when I was a performer, and he brought uh, two of his star performers from the Nanjing Acrobatic Troupe with him, Huang Zhen mm-hmm. and Lu and Huang Zen, like we we fell in love, and so we were we were first together. He didn't speak any English at all. You were used uh, to it. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I have a long, a long history of like trying Mm -hmm. to to communicate with people, both artistically and humanly. Um, Mm -hmm. And on many Cirque shows with, you know, when I was, I was dance captain at Salt and Monko. So when we'd have new performers come, I'd have to teach them their tracks and whether they were Russian or Polish or Chinese, like often that, you know, Mm -hmm. language is a huge barrier and you just, you kind of figure out, you know, what, how to essentialize what you're saying and working through movement and examples. And, um, so it doesn't, uh, it doesn't intimidate me too much in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the specific example of Dear San Francisco, actually, for the most part, it's people that we've, we've worked with a great deal. There's Junru, who we haven't worked with, but she has, um, she first started in Dralian and so what was that? Two. Oh, gosh, that was 2000. No, oh, gosh, she started very young at Cirque du Soleil and has wow. been herself already working a great deal in the United States and is now going to film school at UCLA. Um, wow. So she's really um, – I mean, her English is, is great, first of all, and is also just mm-hmm. really – there's that interesting thing. I mean, I think it's true for a lot of um, – I don't know. Uh, uh, what do I mean? Dis- dis- displaced? That's not the right mm-hmm. word. But for instance, circus performers, when you – um you know you you're from a certain country you've toured other countries, you live in this country, and in the end, you have this kind of like hybrid culture that is sort of on on the one hand you have many homes on the other hand, you don't have just one home, and it can be often very complicated because there's not you you go here and you feel like you're missing what you had there and you go here so I know there's it's it's sort of a sadness of a lot of circus performers who who travel a lot because they connect to so many places. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also a beauty and it's a wonderful thing about working with those people is like, I believe it creates an incredible, first of all, incredible open-mindedness because anyone who's lived in a multiple of cultures, like you just naturally have, I think, a greater empathy because mm-hmm. a better understanding that there are more than one truths and reality is, you know, different in different places. So I think circus people often naturally have that from the fact they they travel so much and work internationally, like have so many cross you know cross nationalities in in a troupe, um mm-hmm. so it's a great thing but i know it's a hard thing and i know that like dachi i think i don't know if i'm anyway dachi was also another chinese performer worked with us and he's currently in china but i know he talks a lot about the fact he it's like in some senses like he feels at home in montreal but then he misses mm-hmm. china and then he goes to china and he feels like there's this whole part of his identity that he can't live there and he sort of like kind of goes back and forth, not really sure which one is more a home for him. Um, mm-hmm. So it's that's a hard thing. We should do a show just about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, what a yeah. what a great comment about. There's more than one truth and more than one reality that can exist in the in the mm-hmm. world, in our lives, and then certainly in in the creative world. Period. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, it is so essential, I think, for creators, especially someone now in your, you know, you're in the leadership position, uh, you're sourcing these towns, you're working with them one on one. It's so important for you to have an open mind. And uh, it's so fascinating to me, because I realize I have the privilege to speak with so many people on the show, who are kind of similar to the way that you think, and therefore, they're able to create something so unique and that, that brings people together. I think for people to see people of different color, different backgrounds on stage, mm-hmm. uh, gives them a, an, another sense of themselves too, as in like in a way that we are, we are truly connected. So um, speaking of which, you know, Shane, I did ask for your permission to also acknowledge the fact that the past year and a half, nearly two years, have been very difficult for creators. I feel like for my network of artists, musicians, and you know, uh, artists and acrobats, and uh, life has not been, especially at the beginning. It's just there's so many unknowns, and I realized at the very beginning, my heart just went out to, you know, your company Cirque du Soleil went through a really rough time, and because for obvious reasons that this is the the bread and butter uh, of your of your business, you have to be traveling you have to be in this live environment. So are there, you know, lessons learned reflections, people you want, you feel thankful for. Um, yeah. We can talk about it. Yeah.
1: Well, we definitely feel thankful too. And i this sounds cheesy, but the government of Quebec, I just want to say like really there were, they, they really acknowledged quickly that the arts were in peril and helped us a great deal just to, you know, to stay afloat. Um, so I felt very fortunate to be here in, in Quebec in Montreal and we had a particular grant from from the city for or from the province uh, to keep the building open for free training for artists. Because there was a great concern that, you know, no one, I mean, circus artists, they, they can't not train without, you know, mm-hmm. it's one thing to wait around for the pandemic to be over. But if in the meantime, you're completely out of shape, you'll never be able to do your mm-hmm. job again. So, you know, it became a priority to really make sure that people at least could, you know, go into a studio and so very quickly we had figured out in our spaces how to you know how to have the distancing how to have all of the the safe um sanitary measures and with a grant that helped us you know keep the building open and that was incredible for the community here and also just Mm -hmm. i'd say selfishly to be able to go to work and see people training even Mm -hmm. if i wasn't you know creating a show with them or for them Mm -hmm. you know you just felt like you know the, the the circulation was still going um So I'm incredibly grateful for that and everyone in our company who, you know, you really realize it's, I was joking about how um, it's not like survival of the fittest, it's survival of the most passionate, that it really kind of shows who's really, you know, has their heart in it and is really passionate about it and can continue chugging away even when, you know, you didn't really necessarily see a light at the end of the tunnel and you didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. have all of the positive stuff that you usually get with this line of work where you, Mm -hmm. you know, you have a premiere and it's a celebration, there's an audience and there's like this like really beautiful exchange. And to be only on the the one end of that without the the audience on the other side of it, it's not as Mm -hmm. rewarding at all. So Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of kind of faith and hope and vision and hanging in there. And so I think... Uh, I think that was incredibly hard, but I also think there were some people who really um, brought that passion and, you know, continued to lead us through those times and finding other creative ways to stay creative. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I will say that I think, you know, there was such a focus on, you know, people continuing to train, as I mentioned, um, or or even for us staying creative and write, writing shows, which we wrote a ton of shows. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what was underestimated was, you know, like I said about, we do live shows because we want someone to receive them. And it, it's not just whether you think of it on a very like, oh, audience is clapping. But mm-hmm. I mean, really, ultimately, and again, this might sound cheesy, like ultimately, what we do is is it's to heal. Like, I mean, that's one of the function of art in our society is it's one of the tools of healing. Um, and I think that on some level, you know, that's why we do what we do is so that mm-hmm. we can you know, impart that to someone else. So to not have a recipient, um, Mm -hmm. is an incredibly empty experience. So, um, I think that was, that was really the hardest thing. And it wasn't so much, and we were working and we were, people were training and we were being creative. Um, Mm -hmm. but to feel like it just went into a void, as opposed to having that sort of circle of someone receiving it and being transformed and that transforming us and, Mm -hmm. um, it was almost like the, the, the circulation stopped during the yeah. pandemic. So that was hard, but um, I don't know. We're also finding ways to, I mean, hopefully now I have uh, one of my shows is already performing on the cruise ship on, on Virgin Voyages in the UK. So there's something out there that's performing with an audience. So hopefully we're going to continue in that direction, but that was a mm-hmm. huge first step to feel like, okay, there's, there's a show. So um Yeah
0: amazing oh it warms my heart to, to hear that you know it's a it's a very healing experience that's exactly how I feel I go see the show and I already feel better after buying the ticket just go see it but then the during and after and I was recorded reflection videos on my YouTube channel it's incredible so Shannon to respect your time I know you have a very busy schedule is there anything that you want to kind of close on uh, I haven't asked what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean,
1: I'm sort of thinking back at my answer about how I create shows and I was talking about all the tentacles and the witchcraft and stuff. So I'm like, well, maybe we should take another moment. and I could explain in, in better detail the actual, sure. but I, maybe that's not the time now, but I mean, that part of it, that is a very real thing. Like just mm-hmm. in terms of on a creative level, like just, just kind of always having your, your ears and, and, uh, sense, senses open, mm-hmm. but, um, there is an actual dramaturgy process, dramaturgical process in terms of writing shows. And I guess just, um, I think what's important is that the, the the theme and the story and that metaphorical and emotional content is really the base. And we do all of the, the acrobatic ideas and the movement research and the choreographic ideas kind Mm -hmm. of stem from that core. And so that's why it's always connected to the emotion. And it's not what I think, There's a bit of a trend in circus that the the numbers exist. And then we kind of try Mm -hmm. to superimpose on top of it, emotion or theme or story. Um, So I guess one of the things I would just mention is that that really is, um, it's our, it's our, it's our source point. Um, It's our driving Mm -hmm. point. So the emotional content. And then when I was talking about like feeling your North Star, as you create and as you choreograph, you get an instant sense of how to navigate it. So it's always saying what you want it to say, even if it's through movement or through words or through somersaults. Um, So I guess I will just clarify that to make it less about the witchcraft and all of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, this is so beautiful. What I'm feeling is, you know, there's so, so, there's sometimes feel like there's so much hatred in the world and, you know, people only trying to protect themselves, going... And I, I get it. I feel like in a way that I'm privileged to grow up and feeling safe most days and feeling comfortable. But what I have sensed in Seven Fingers and your creation, your work, not just externally towards the audience, but also how you and Gypsy take care of your own people, acrobats. And I have these young people, people still in school, 20, 22 years old said, oh, you know, I'm from somewhere else, South Africa. I remember I interviewed her and she said, well, you know, uh, Shana will actually invite me to her, uh, her house. So we celebrate Thanksgiving together and and Christmas and she feels just right at home. So I think what I'm feeling is just love and love is very, very healing and love in a very dynamic way from your creation. Um, It's not just necessary between a man and a woman, but it's just as everybody is included, right? The audience and it just, there's so much love. And I think that's exactly how people are going to feel from dear san francisco so if you're watching this make sure you check it out especially if you live close by man i'm so jealous (laughs) of you uh so please go check it out this episode of the face world podcast is brought to you by face world llc our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses we offer website development video production marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Phase World Podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose De Leon, transcript editor, Alina Ahmidova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Phase World. Thank you so much for listening.